Orthodox Journey. A missionary activity of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, working under the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia, presents The Neo-Martyrs, a podcast series exploring the lives, times and virtues of those saints who witnessed for Christ under Ottoman rule. This is The Neo-Martyrs. and God-loving parents in Carpenisi, Thessaly, in 1657, St. Nicholas received a Christian upbringing. He went to school and studied the Holy Scriptures. After his father moved to Constantinople, he employed his 15-year-old son Nicholas in his grocery store, where all kinds of goods were sold. Across from their shop was a Turkish barber, a friend of Nicholas's father. That barber was educated and knew how to read and write in Turkish. Nicholas's father, wanting his son to learn Turkish, arranged with the barber to give Nicholas classes in Turkish. Very bright and hard-working, Nicholas made rapid progress in those lessons. One day, Nicholas arrived at his Turkish language class. The barber had already prepared the reading for Nicholas, but this time the reading was the Muslim Confession of Faith. The Shahada. The law at the time was that if one was to read this in front of witnesses, he was considered a Muslim. The barber invited some Turkish janissaries to the stall and started the lesson. He read the Shahada first and then gave it to Nicholas to repeat. Nicholas repeated the Shahada not knowing what it was. When Nicholas finished reading, the Turks shouted with joy, Nicholas, you have become a Turk. You have read the Shahada. Astonished, Nicholas answered, I am an Orthodox Christian, and not what you say. I am duty-bound to read whatever lesson the teacher gives me. The Turks took Nicholas to the judge, saying, Effendi, this young man said the Shakada in front of us. If you want proof, here is the paper on which the Shakada is written, and from which he read it. And now we say that he is a Turk, and he is mocking our faith. The judge said, Nicholas, you read the Shakara, you have become a Turk. Nicholas answered the judge boldly, without any fear. Today my teacher gave me this written paper as a lesson and told me to read it. And I did not know what it was. The teacher gave it to me and I was obliged to read it. The judge responded saying, Since you, Nicholas, have read the Shakara, you should become a Turk. I will give you a great position. I will make you rich. I will shower you with honours. I will glorify you throughout the whole empire. But Nicholas answered, I am a Christian, and I believe that Christ is the true God. I do not need the positions, wealth, and honours you have offered me. I will not renounce Christ, and will die for his name. 
I will not convert to Islam. Due to Nicholas's refusal to change his mind, the judge beat him, threw him into prison with murderers, and deprived him of food and water. He spent 65 days in prison. After this, the judge threatened him with death if he did not change his mind and accept the Muslim faith. In response, the brave martyr said without fear, I am a Christian. I believe in Christ. I do not renounce Christ, even if they put me through thousands of torments. The judge ordered that the martyr be thrown back into the dungeon. And while the holy martyr was being mercilessly beaten and tortured, a very rich Turk came to him and offered him his daughter for a wife and a shop full of precious goods if he converted to Islam. But the godly martyr considered this offer to be dust, a shadow, a cobweb. And he said to the Turk, I have in my heart a secret wealth, the faith of my Christ, who prepared for me a wonderful abode in heaven, unfading glory, immortal joy, unspeakable pleasure, unsurpassed honour, and an imperishable kingdom. This is what the Lord promised to those who love him, so that they may reign with him forever. Hearing this answer, the Turk left empty-handed. Then, on the orders of the judge, the holy martyr was again taken out of the dungeon. When Nicholas again refused to convert to Islam, the judge was finally convinced that the martyr was steadfast in his Christian faith, and he made the decision to execute the martyr. The executioners then took the saint and led him to the execution site. It looked as though Nicholas was going to a wedding and not towards his death. He rushed to his death for Christ as a thirsty deer rushes to a stream. When he arrived at the execution site, the martyr knelt and stretched out his neck, and while he was praying, the executioner cut off his blessed head. He received the wreath of martyrdom in the year 1672. Because of his work as a grocer, we know him as St. Nicholas the Neomata or St. Nicholas the Grocer, in Greek, Pandopolis. It is easier for people who have heard enough of the lives of the martyrs to become numb to all of the temptations that were placed before the Neomartyrs. In the case of St. Nicholas the Grocer, he was offered the chance to rise up from being a second-class Orthodox subject to join the privileged Muslim community. He was offered positions far above his work as a grocer, which would have brought him enhanced social status. He was offered wealth and honours that would have made him great in the eyes of the world. He was even offered a wife, and yet he rejected a potential family. Instead, he chose to join his heavenly father, obtaining the pearl of great price and achieving the highest status available to humanity. The neo-martyrs were on average between 25 and 40 at the time of their martyric ends. However, in this podcast series alone, we have heard the examples of Saint Irene in part 2, who was a young girl of 12 when the Ottomans invaded Mytilini, and Saint Nicholas just now, who was only 15 years old. On the other end of the scale, we can see Saints Cosmas of Etolia, Saint Joseph of Damascus, and Saint Chrysostomos of Smyrna, all of whom were older men when they were martyred. As we saw in the previous episode, the neo-martyrs were ethnically diverse. There were men and women, of all social classes and all levels of wealth. They had many different livelihoods, ranging from lords and kings to grocers, tailors and builders. There were many priests and monks, 
but also soldiers and farmers. And finally, they reached their end in differing ways. Sometimes the neo-martyrs were orthodox Christians who for some reason, voluntary or involuntarily, had converted to Islam and bore the consequences of returning to their original faith. This was the trajectory of St. Alexander the former dervish, whose life we heard in part two. On other occasions, the neo-martyrs were orthodox Christians who were wronged by Muslim Turks, much like St. Nicholas the Grocer, who was falsely accused of becoming Muslim. Sometimes, like St. Cosmas in part one of this series, or St. Avakum the deacon in part four, the neo-martyrs fell on the wrong side of the law or the authorities. Finally, and most rarely, we see the neo-martyr who was born Muslim and then converted to orthodoxy. We can see this play out in the life of our next saint, St. Ahmed the calligrapher. The neo-martyr Ahmed the calligrapher was a high-ranking official in the Ottoman Empire. He was a Muslim with a Russian Orthodox slave who was his concubine. It was through this devout slave and the fragrance that attached to her after she returned from the Divine Liturgy that Ahmed came to appreciate the truth and beauty of Orthodox Christianity. One day he attended a Divine Liturgy at the Patriarchate in Constantinople. During this liturgy he saw rays of light emanating from the Patriarch when he blessed the faithful. And because of these experiences, Ahmed was baptized an Orthodox Christian. Ahmed practiced his faith secretly for a time, but the truth was revealed when he said to some Muslims that Orthodox Christianity was the greatest religion. For this, he was arrested and taken before the judge. On May the 3rd, 1682, St. Ahmed was executed for his faith. The one thing they all had in common was how they saw their place in the world. They saw themselves first as Orthodox Christians, and only afterwards did they see themselves as part of their family, part of a city, region, nationality, class, occupation, and so on. The neo-martyrs did not allow any aspect of their identity to interfere with their connection to Christ. St. Ahmed the calligrapher, though he was an upper-class man with enough wealth to lead a comfortable life, he did not consider these when he confessed his faith before the Muslims. Neither did he allow his former sins to hold him back from entering into the church and starting his journey towards Christ. Our contemporary world considers identity to be of the utmost importance. It is not enough to have one identity, but to have multiple intersecting identities. This is leading to people not identifying as themselves, but as a person of a certain gender and race and sexuality and so on, all at the one time. As long as these categories of identification exist, people will always be defined by these categories. However, for a Christian, the dominant identity, the one identity that should be sought, is the one that the priest says each time we approach the chalice for Holy Communion, the servant of God. Identity is only a problem when it is used to subvert the rightful place of God in the life of a person. This includes identifying with the sins one commits. This includes prioritizing anything over God, even one's own family. The final saint we'll discuss in this episode, Saint Aquilina of Thessaloniki, did just that. 
placing her love for God above obedience to a wicked father. Saint Aquilina was from the village of Zagliveri near Thessaloniki. One day her father, George, killed his Turkish neighbour in an argument. The local authorities captured him and took him to the Passar of Thessaloniki to execute him. But the Passar allowed George to live because he agreed to convert to Islam from orthodoxy. Aquilina was just a young girl at the time. When a long time had passed since her father became a Turk and Aquilina turned 18, the Turks began to put pressure on George to convert Aquilina to Islam as well, and he did just that. But Aquilina's mother supported her in keeping her faith. George, on the other hand, kept urging his daughter to convert to Islam as soon as possible so that the Turks would no longer bother him. And Aquilina, burning with the love of Christ, gently said to her father, Am I as despondent as you to renounce my God and Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered the cross and death for us? I will never do that. That is what the true daughter of Christ said. Seeing her steadfastness, George informed the Turks about it. They immediately sent soldiers to Aquilina to bring her to court, and the prudent mother of Aquilina, seeing the people coming to arrest her daughter, said to Aquilina, My dear child, my sweet daughter, Aquilina, here comes the hour I told you about. Act like my obedient child and listen to my advice. Hold on heroically throughout all the torments that lie ahead of you and do not renounce Christ. Aquilina answered her with tears. Do not be afraid, my mother. I have the same desire and the same goal, God willing. Pray for me, mother. The soldiers tied up the martyr and took her to court and her caring mother followed her. Aquilina was brought to court, but her mother was not allowed inside. The judge said to Aquilina, Girl, convert to Islam. But the saint said, No, I will not do that. I will never renounce my faith and my Lord Jesus Christ. Hearing that, the judge got angry and ordered that Aquilina be beaten. Then the judge and the other Turks tried to shower her with flattery promising her many honours and gifts if she were to join Islam. But the Bride of Christ did not consider these at all. A prominent man among the Muslims said to Aquilina, Become a Muslim, Aquilina, and I will marry you to my son. The martyr of Christ replied, May the devil take you and your son. I will never convert to Islam because your faith can never replace my Christ. Furious with anger at such an anger, the Turks beat her so mercilessly again that her bones were broken, her flesh fell off, and her blood flooded the land like a stream, and she was left for dead. Then a Christian informed her mother, who ran over, hugged her exhaling daughter, and asked her, What have you done, my child? The saint, coming to her senses, opened her eyes slightly with difficulty, and seeing her mother, answered her, Behold, I have preserved the confession of my faith just as we agreed. And the mother raised her hands and eyes to heaven and thanked God. Saint Aquilina gave her pure soul into God's hands and received the imperishable crown of martyrdom on September the 27th, 1764. And her solemn and holy body immediately began to pour out 
a miraculous and strong fragrance. The next night, light descended from the sky like the brightest star and illuminated the tomb of the holy martyr, and the Christians who saw it glorified God. What we can see from the lives of all the neo-martyrs is that they transcended all of the obstacles that were put in their path. Saint Aquilina was faced with temptations such as wealth and privilege. She endured tortures and beatings rather than accept what would be seen by many as an understandable compromise of converting to Islam. In the lives of the neo-martyrs, little is known about what else they desired and sought after other than God. There is a reason for this, as the saints were not merely willing to set aside their own desires, but actually did so in order to witness for Christ. There are many instances in the hagiographies of the neo-martyrs where people did not value God above all else. George, the father of Aquilina, valued his life over his orthodox faith. Even after becoming a Muslim, he still continued to value his life above all else, even the life of his daughter. As soon as the Turks placed a small amount of pressure on him, he buckled. He felt that he had to be seen to be Muslim or his life would again be in danger. This is the consequence of not prioritizing God over identity or self-identity. It may be that we consider ourselves so important that we do not see the need to give God any significant part of ourselves. We may not wish to put in the time or the effort in prayer or in spiritual activities, but in doing so, we fall into the same trap as George. However, let us take heart from the many neo-martyrs who also fell and converted to Islam, but made their way back to orthodoxy. These neo-martyrs repented and struggled, but at the end were still united to Christ. May we too repent and unite ourselves to Christ. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.